Candid is a podcast of Tennessee voices about mental health, featuring stories of people who have overcome mental health challenges, as well as those who have helped people overcome mental health challenges. This podcast is about authenticity, and it's intended to give a voice to those who are passionate about mental well-being. We hope that by sharing stories, listeners understand mental health and just how important it is in our day-to-day lives, and they will help us reduce stigma. We want you to know that so many who have struggled with mental health can and did overcome their challenges, and if you are struggling, you can too. I'm your host, Ricky Harris, CEO of Tennessee Voices, and with me is my favorite co-host, Will Voss, COO of Tennessee Voices. Welcome to our podcast, Let's Get Candid. Welcome to our Candid podcast. Ricky Harris here with my co-host. Will Voss. Hello. <laughs> uh, we have some interviews today for um, for your ears to hear from two of our staff, and um, they're going to talk a little bit about their experiences at our organization. One who has been here for a long time, thirteen years, and one who has been here less than a year. Is no. it well, in her new role? New role total. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So she was an intern yep. and then she worked for us a little bit and then she left and got her master's degree and came back. Now she's fairly new in her role as a therapist, but has some experience with us, but is a young adult yes, and yes. our, um, our other person, Kathy is an older adult. And so both of them are sharing their experiences, both in the field, but also as employees of Tennessee voices. So uh, we'll make sense of our comments once you hear their interviews probably a little more but what's your experience working for Tennessee Voices Will you've been here seven six six years mm-hmm. yeah six years in February um it has been a it's been a journey it has been a journey uh, a fun journey I recently was just telling someone uh, in an interview that when I first came to Tennessee Voices I was in the last year of the grant that I hopped on. Mm, That's right. That's right. February February of 2015. And that was, that grant was ending in September. That's right. I forgot about that. Yes. Yes. When when we're doing interviews, you know, people say, well, how is this funded? How long is the grant? And I tell them, you know, well, this is the time period for this grant, but I don't want you to worry about that. I know it can be scary and difficult to do, but your goal is to come in, do the best job that you have. And as we're thinking of sustainability and constantly writing grants, we're going to try to figure out how do we sustain our best employees the best way we can. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it works out right the way we want it to. And other times we've got to figure different strategies out. Mm-hmm. But it was a journey coming in. I could potentially only have a job for, was it seven months? <laughs> and now I'm here almost seven years later. That's so awesome. it's, it has been fun. I've learned a lot and just overcoming different challenges, meeting different challenges and learning a lot of different things. It's been fun. It's been a fun journey. Yeah. I was thinking about your, your journey through multiple roles in the agency. Mm-hmm. So from, you know, direct services to 
management uh, to director, program manager, director, and then chief, so senior leadership, obviously those are, they probably bring their own different cultures within each role. Um, what, what is that, what has that done to you in terms of your growth and development? How, how the culture of each role changed you? Oh, yes, most definitely. Um, for one, I'll say it humbled me. You know, in the midst of it, going from direct service, doing the in-home work to moving to program management and directorship, in the midst of that, I was working on my master's. So still on the side, providing therapy, seeing those families one-on-one. You know, it always brought you back down to reality. Like as you're focusing on the, the managerial level and looking at how all these different processes and strategies should work and focusing on program outcomes, this is a great way to do it. But working with people directly helps you understand how to get, to get mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And I love it because it's helped my it help, helps me give a have a better perspective on how to manage people and how to make them leaders leading other leaders. Um, that's something that you said and it sticks with me. You know, real leaders create other leaders. And being able to do that from the now senior leadership level, it's exciting. Um, yeah. and, and having that firsthand direct service experience early on, it always comes back to the core of how I lead. Mm-hmm. Always remembering those people that we're providing services to. Yeah, I remember. So I've been here 10 years. I've just celebrated my 10 year anniversary. Yes. And yay. Um <laughs> And I was here before I was the CEO. I, I was a development uh, director and worked for someone else who was the CEO. And quickly, as I transitioned, I learned that I needed to become a student of culture change, like culture shift, culture change, how to, whether I liked it or not, or wanted it or not, culture was going to change after a leader who had been here almost 20 years just period, no matter what it was, if I would have come in and tried to keep everything status quo, there still would have been a shift because we are, I was new. I was a new CEO. I was newer to the agency. And she obviously had been here 20 years and had a lot of years in the field. So it was, it was different experiences. It was different ideas. It was different things, but I became a student of culture and started studying and read a book I really liked called Leader Shift. Um, and it it helped me a lot to understand how to strategize culture change because I thought at first I would just come in and implement culture change. Here's what I want. Here's what we should be. Here's who we are. But we weren't that until we all agreed that we were that. And so I, I studied and learned a lot about the transitional change in leadership and how that affects culture. So a little bit of that happened to then with you as you transition to this new chief role. I mean, I would say even your leadership as director of operations, and especially now as chief, taking on some things that help shift our culture. And some of it is just the way that you see uh, staff support, the way you like to keep people informed, the way you like to communicate with people, it creates culture. Yeah. It's something I tell a lot of my, my staff that I've 
formerly supervised now, um, is that I never forget what it's like to be a program manager. Mm-hmm. Um, the direct service staff, I never forget what it's like to provide those direct services. It's so different because I, I'm blessed to be able to say I did those direct services here at Tennessee Voices. Mm-hmm. Some of the same grants that we still have today was the same grant that I was scared that I wasn't going to be able to be here any longer because it was just last year of funding at that time. Mm-hmm. So you're really understanding, you know, that true system of care, what it looks like and how it's infused in all of our programs. I've kept that from direct service on up to CEO. Yeah. So I will confess that one of the hard parts for me in learning how to create the culture that we now have, which I think we can probably spend some time describing in a minute. But as I learned that I had a hard time marrying high expectations with lots of grace and support. And that for me was difficult because I was very and am very type A. I am very driven. I'm very visionary. I'm a person who sets a goal when we reach it. I don't have time to celebrate because it's time to set the next goal. Like, woohoo, yay. Okay, cool. We got that one. But I have this one, this one, and this one next. I'm always looking ahead, which I think is really important. But you also have to have the support and the communication and the grace for all the people doing the work. And so I was trying to figure out how do I take my drive and hold people accountable and also create this strong quality in the work that we do, but also hold these people in my very (laughs) skinny arms (laughs) um, to make sure that they feel like they can trust us and that we have their back and that we are here for them and that we want them to succeed. It took a minute to figure out how to do both. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, that makes sense. It's, It's hard to do, but I'll tell you this, you got it. You got it down back. <laughs> yeah, it took it took a minute, but I think we figured it out. The, one of the biggest things was getting the right people on the bus. And that was just simply going back to mission. Are we all here with common goals and trust? Can we all get around the same mission? Check. Are we all committed to that? Yes. Do we trust each other? And that was the key component. I had to spend some years there as the new CEO, just building trust, really focused on, I am who I say that I am, and I'm doing what I say that I'm doing, and really making sure that people understood they could trust me. And then when we had those two things, which took some time to develop, then they were like, okay, we're behind her. Let's go. What are we doing? We were on board. (laughs) But that culture, how would you describe? I've had a lot of thoughts about this lately, but I'd love to hear how you describe our current culture. Yeah. um, I I truly, 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 and I know a lot of places say it, but I would truly say we are like a family. Um, and when I say that, I don't mean a dysfunctional family. I mean one where you know, there are moments where we may not agree, mm-hmm. but we've all got that same in, same common core. And mm-hmm. that is how do we help others and how do we start here at home? You know, I, I joke often and say it always starts at home and I'm talking to staff and, you know, everyone laughs, but they, they get it and they relate to it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it actually is how we treat each other here at the office. 
you know, before we go out and we're smiling to community partners and we're laughing and joking and trying to make sure we're helping, you know, these families and children that we're working with, are we treating each other the same way? You know, mm-hmm. are we starting in- internally helping one another? Um, we hire li- a lot of people with lived experience. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot that you have to take into account when you're dealing with your own, you know, you're, your own, you're on your own journey um, with mental health recovery or being a parent and caregiver of a child with mental health concerns, some who've already advocated with their children through high school and college and some that are still doing it outside of work while trying to help another family. Mm-hmm. Our staff are supporting one another in that. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're like a family and we're constantly growing. We realize that hey, age is nothing but a number, as you guys are going to hear from some of our youngest staff to some of those who are up in tenure. Age is nothing but a number. No matter how old you are, everyone is open to growing and learning. That's mm-hmm. the biggest thing. How do we learn from one another through all these different experiences that we have? Yeah. Yeah. I do think that's a really cool statement because one of the things that I had on my list early on is that we would always take a learning stance in our approach to the work. And that learning stance would be either I'm going to learn from the community what their needs are and then plan the work that needs to be done. And I'm going to learn from the partners where the gaps are and try to fill those. And I'm going to learn from my staff what their expertise are and how we can build on those to better serve the community. And so I think that was a big one for me is number one, I was going to take a learning stance and hire people who knew more than me about things I didn't know about because I can't own all the information or I can't know all the answers for this organization to succeed. I need the right people on board. Does that make sense too? Yes, yes, that makes perfect sense. I mean, I remember you saying that and you even think of our, our mission as being that collaborative leader. Right. Mm-hmm. In order to lead, you you have to have followed someone. You had to have learned from someone before. And while you're, we can be innovative and, and creative in how we set forth new standards and we move forward, some of what we're doing is because we've learned from one another, you know, in order to create who we want to be as an agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I've studied a lot, too, about uh, just respecting and supporting. When you talk about a family, I I, I kind of hold this philosophy about parenting, and I don't mean to say that we're parenting our staff at all, but I hold this philosophy about parenting that instead of creating fear between yourself and your child in order to get them to comply, that you should create respect between yourself and your child so that they respect you when you ask them to comply and they do it. And I feel the same way about philosophically about leadership, that if I mutually respect my staff and they respect me, right? So we have this mutual respect that there are going to be times when we disagree on how to get to something. But if we agree on what the end goal is, or we agree what the outcome should be, then we can handle those disagreements on how to get there. I also have learned a lot about love, and it's been really hard for me to figure out how to express it because I think there's some misunderstanding. Uh, when you say the word love, there's a lot of meanings to love. There's, there, I mean, just even from my background and training, biblically, there's multiple meanings of love or types of love, but 
I have a genuine love for people in that I don't wish to hurt anyone. And I hold in high regard and value their feelings, their needs, and their thoughts. And so how do I express that love through my leadership? And that's just the way we treat people. You said it there. I, I yep. mean, I, I as you're saying that, you know, I, I think about how the staff would be like, oh, my goodness, we love y'all. And it's like that's where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. They're loving what we're doing and that we're presenting ourselves as human. Like, hey, we're going to make mistakes from time to time. But our goal is to make sure we're leading you guys in the best direction because we see that you're following. You guys are mm-hmm. leading in your own manner and we're going to set the path to make sure that we do what needs to be done. You know, that's a perfect, we have a guest we need to invite to this podcast, and it's Becca Stevens, the CEO of Thistle Farms. She really talks about leadership and love. And obviously the mission in Thistle Farms is kind of around um, a supporting and uplifting treatment and success for re- uh, women in recovery. And we should totally invite her. So To close us out, I have a funny story, kind of funny, it's serious, to share with you. Um, I was having a conversation with a staff member, and uh, she was saying, like, how much she appreciated me, and then how much she appreciated the leadership team, and she was going through something hard, and we had really kind of showed up for her, and um, I was like, you know... (laughs) I love all of y'all. You just, I just can't necessarily say that because we're taught in management, you know, how, how cautious to be, how be careful. People may misinterpret things. And so it's a, it's a word we don't throw around out of caution. Right. Um, and I said, but I, I do, I, I love all of y'all. And she said to me, she said, we know. We know. <laughs> and I said, you do. And she said, everybody knows. Yeah. And I was like, that makes me feel so good. Like I am accomplishing (laughs) at least to some level without explicitly stating it, what we're putting out there. But another guest we should have that I think shows a lot of love toward her staff is Commissioner Williams. Oh, yes. Yes. So there's an example of a leader who is not afraid to express her appreciation and love for others, particularly those who are working with her and openly putting it out there. And I, I'm telling you, that's just the kind of people I want to be around. I don't know about you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm right there with you. Obviously, yes. there's times when that's hard, just like with family. When you you love someone, but you don't appreciate what they did, what they said, or how they made you feel. So we got to have avenues for those kind of things. Communication. Yeah. So I think it's going to be a great couple of interviews you guys are going to hear, and I think you're going to love it. Jasmine's precious. Kathy is, she's got so much experience in the biz. There's nobody like her. That distinct accent you'll grow to love and hear in the next episode or segment of this episode. So y'all enjoy. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be right back after this short break. TN Voices is now hiring qualified applicants to fill positions all across the state. You can be part of a growing team that puts the mental health of Tennesseans first 
and thrive in a compassionate work environment. To apply to join our team, log on to tnvoices.org employment. Welcome back. So I want to introduce to the podcast, Kathy Rogers. Kathy is a director at Tennessee Voices and has been with us for how many years, Kathy? 12, going on 13. 12, going on 13. Longer than me. Wow. Yeah. And you've been in the field for a while. So today, I think the point for this episode is to just hear from someone who has been in the field for a long time, but not just someone from you, you who have made such a difference in the lives of so many people, both people you've led as a leader and people that you've trained as a trainer. So, I mean, you've got a lot of stories to share and we have a little bit of time, so I'm going to quit talking. (laughs) Tell me how you got in the field. Um, I got in the field because I began work with DCS. A lot of people begin their careers there. I did not have my master's at that time. I was working directly with families. And I thought, this is way too important. I need more education. And I was picking up on how critical it was to recognize the talents that parents and families had. And in navigating other systems, uh, people did not always appreciate the sacrifice, the devotion, and everything that parents do on behalf of their children. Yeah, wow. Your view of parents in doing this work has always been something that I have um, appreciated And that has had an influence on me because you have always seen parents, no matter what the concerns are with a family, you have always seen the parents as the catalyst to the ultimate change in family functioning and, and, you know, addressing family struggles. Tell me why you hold parents in such a high position in terms of helping families. I hold them in such a high position because for many years I have advocated for parents who didn't have a status in the care of their child. They had ideas, and if you listen to them, really, really listen, you thought, they are so on track. Why can't we, the helping people, uh, really focus on what it is that they're doing. Uh, They may be in crisis. They may look, oh, my gosh, what's going on at the moment? Because we usually meet them in crisis. But their ideas, for the most part, are very sound and on track with their children. And I thought, if we could collaborate and join our knowledge with the parents' knowledge and be on equal status, that the children would be so much better off. And so that's why it's so critical to me. I love what you said just then, be on equal status with the parents, equal. 
Exactly. I think you and I both have seen dynamics in the helping field where we um, we delineate between the professional and the parent and assume the professional has more information and knowledge about how to make changes that the parent needs help with. But you said equal. What does that look like when you when a parent is approaching a professional for help and you as a professional see yourself as an equal partner with them? What's the difference? Uh, the difference is the way you engage the family in that it's like a peer. Okay, I understand where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. And our agency really supports the peer approach and that experience and what that means to others. And you know that they have the ability to make the decisions to reach the success they want. Mm. And that's what an equal is, is that your ideas are as good as my ideas. And really, parent, your ideas are probably better than my ideas. Mm. We need to really come together. Mm. So much agree with that. So tell me a little bit about all the different positions you've held over the years at Tennessee Voices, because you've worn a number of hats. Oh, my gosh, yes. (laughs) I laugh and I say, I've worked in that program Uh almost (laughs) every program that the agency has. I have worked in. I came into Tennessee Voices as a supervisor in the system of care. And from there, I went over, I was over a program. I can't even remember what my title was, but I was, I was over a, a program and then I switched and was over a different program. And then I grew and was over several programs. And so I know about outreach, what it means to do, because I've been over that program, to really provide services to families who are desperate. I know about uh, trauma and what it means to provide services to families who children may have experienced trauma. I know about training and what it takes to really engage people in that type of uh, setting so you really maximize their abilities to learn and be involved. Mm -hmm. Um, Advocacy is a major part of what I have had an opportunity to do, to really advocate on behalf of families on behalf of children, and what that means in a child's success, Mm -hmm. Uh, the rights they have and uh, what they need to be successful. Gosh, everything, Ricky, I don't know why it. You've (laughs) done a lot. You have done a lot. And I will say advocacy really stands out to me. That's something that I learned a lot from you about in just the way that we see advocacy in our organization, because we we bridge a gap between being advocates and service providers, which is a little bit unique because there are a lot of organizations that do one or the other. And we're, we do both in the way that we provide our services. 
So advocacy for us is both on the individual level with families, like you were explaining, but also on the system level. And, and you've been a part of some of that system level advocacy, uh, especially with things like the Child Advocacy Days event every year. Tennessee Voices has a, has a big place with that. We, we always attend in large numbers. Mm-hmm. We help with the event, uh, but we visit legislators and we talk to them about what we think is important in our view. And I will, I'll just take this opportunity to say the advocacy piece and how you approached it when you were over Statewide Family Support Network was really, when I first came in, was really beneficial for me to see how you, how you managed that. Um, we try to do it on a collaborative basis. If you want someone that's going to go in and just really be in someone's face, that's probably not us. Us is listening to both sides and trying to find that big middle ground. And it is so interesting. Just yesterday in a presentation, I had an opportunity to share what advocacy meant to us and how important that was. And the group so appreciated that in terms of that you know, I described at our agency, you could be as involved personally or not, depending on your job, and that you provided opportunities for us to speak with legislators, for us to share our passion about what's important, as well as doing that individually with families. And that, to me, has always meant a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there a time that you recall where uh, a particularly important advocacy opportunity worked and, and was successful and you saw it as a badge of honor that you were part of it? Gosh. Something that has been so important to me is the formation of the FSS coalitions, which really heightens the voice of peer support, and those with lived experience. And that has been a badge of honor for me to get that growing across the state. And people are now really looking to those coalitions for input and value them. And that to me, you know, that is family voice. Yeah. That I agree. That's got to be a big one uh, on your list because you you were a catalyst for that for that coalition coming together. So for the listeners, we'll explain really quickly what that is. The Family Support Specialist Coalition is a group of people who are peer support providers. They work in the field as peer providers, either as a family peer provider, some of them as a CPRS, a Certified mm-hmm. Peer Recovery Specialist but knowing and understanding what people have been through because they lived it and then sitting in the seat as a helper to them, a support to them as they go through whatever it is they're struggling with, either with their child or their family uh, overall. Mm -hmm. So you pulled together a group with the help of a grant from the Healing Trust. We were able to get a lot of support around building up a coalition and you pulled together all these uh, people who work in the field and provide peer support to kind of start to work on professionalizing our, our field, our group, the peers, and, and building community 
support for each other, trainings that they could participate in. And then they took some really, you know, amazing stances on some things to move the needle a little bit for families and, and for peers who provide the, the role and the support to families. So I agree. I mean, I, that's a big standout for me too. I, and I think you were, you were the perfect person at the perfect time to lead that group because you mentor people so well. And, and now is the time you have to brag on yourself a little bit, which I know you're not going to want to do, but what are your strengths? What, what do you love to do and what are your strengths and, and what, what makes you excited to do this job every day? Gosh, what makes me excited to do this job every day is I really love people and seeing their potential and to realize that sometimes that's unearthed. And if I could have a role in, in unearthing that potential, whether it's an individual family or individual staff, wherever that is, that is my passion because I know each one of us has the strengths to do that. Um, I'm a positive. My biggest strength is I'm positive. <laughs> you are positive. <laughs> you are very positive and people love that about you. Where does that love for other people come from? Where does that passion to see others thrive come from? I think it comes from, well, of course, somewhere in my own family where I thought there were some things I needed to correct or work on to have that displayed in a way that was meaningful to me. But in many of the positions that I've had throughout my life where people were discounted and I knew they had abilities and that they just needed a personal advocate, if you want to think of it that way, mm -hmm. to really help others understand their life situation and their abilities. Yeah, that's amazing. So we have a few minutes left here. I'd love for you to share what your experience is working for Tennessee Voices. You've you've been with the organization for 12 years, so something is making you stick around. Obviously, we've heard your passion drives you. Your desire to see people be successful and thrive drives you. You're a leader in every capacity. You like to see other people become leaders. Why, why Tennessee Voices? What is it about it that has kept you here for 12 years? And we're so glad it has, whatever it is. <laughs> Ricky, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'll share this now. I had retired. Mm -hmm. And... I'm high energy, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I can't do this, meaning retire. Yeah. I made a very conscious effort and reviewed agencies all over the Internet, and I chose Tennessee Voices to apply, and that is the only place I applied. And the reason why I chose Tennessee Voices was the strong commitment to families and family voice. If you look at us as an agency, we live what we preach, which our agency functions 
as a support system for others to be successful. That's Mm -hmm. our own staff. And if our staff is successful, they're successful in working with families. And so we really live what we say is important to us. And that's what keeps me going. Um, It's a very different atmosphere. I've worked several places, so I have a point of comparison. It is so respectful. It is so supportive. Now, we have high expectations. You have to do what you have to do. I mean, that's the way (laughs) all jobs are. You know, you have requirements, you do them. But the way we go about it is with deep respect for the individuals that we work with and the caring you feel a real caring. This is the first place that I have ever worked that has preached self-care and said, you have got to take care of yourself because you use yourself in your work. No place have I ever worked was that supportive of realizing how important an individual is and the value of staff. Boy, I could go on forever, but that's it. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's awesome. I, I'm glad that that message resonates and translates. And as we hope it does, I sometimes I think about places I've worked, like you were saying, and the things that we did to make sure we took care of the furniture or made sure the offices, the spaces looked nice and inviting. And we worried about, you know, managing our IT equipment and keeping computers, you know, up to date and all those fun things. But we never talked about taking care of our number one tool and getting our job done well. And that was the people who delivered the services. Mm-hmm. So I love that. I love that message is resonating and and you as a leader are also supporting that message with your staff. And I know that they appreciate that a lot. So any, any last minute things that we should know about Kathy Rogers before we go? Oh gosh. That we don't know about that we should. <laughs> oh no, I think I've shared enough, but thank you. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kathy. I appreciate you taking the time and sharing that. And, um, I look forward to having you on again soon. Thank you so much, Ricky. You bet. September is Suicide Prevention Month, and there are things each of us can do to help prevent suicide. Every year at this time, Lifeline and other mental health organizations and individuals across the U.S. and around the world raise awareness of suicide prevention. If you are having suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-8255 and head to tnvoices.org for mental health resources, including our newly renovated online library. You can be the one to prevent suicide this month and all year long by gaining the tools and knowledge you need to foster better mental health for yourself and those around you. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed today's program, like, subscribe, and review this podcast. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health support services, log on to tnvoices.org. 
or call 1-800-670-9882. Join us next time as we Get Candid.